Guys, it is Encounter with God time here on Faith FM. That means that we're about to get into our Bible study, which is going to be super exciting because we have an amazing passage of the Bible that we're going to be looking at while we are getting ready for our Bible study. You can be turning, if you are not on the road um, or not in a workshop, you can be turning to Acts chapter 26. We have a fantastic chapter right here. That is going to be the subject of our Bible study today. But before we go there, we have another clue for our quiz, which none of you guys have got yet. It's a what book am I? All right. Here's a quote. This is good. And please God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Whereabouts do you find that? You should have done that one first. I would have had no idea. <laughs> I wouldn't have even I'd be like, what? Okay, read the, read the last uh, couple of clues for us. There are a number of, because these are, these are all quotes from this book. So we're mm. going to have a number of different quotes from this book. So get ready, put your thinking cap on. Here come some quotes. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blast me. Okay. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. All right. So whereabouts in the Bible do you find somebody talking about Hymenius and what was the other guy's name? Alexander. Alexander. Hymenius and Alexander, who uh, were obviously apostates and somebody had turned them over to God for destruction. Pretty strong language right there. These guys were... um, yeah, some pretty serious kind of apostates. And yeah, wealth and money and the problems associated with it. If you know the answer, what are the numbers to call? 1-800-324-843 or text us at 491 for okay. your chance to win the Pocket Edition Live More Happy. Yes, indeed. And we've been having a health subject this morning with our interview, so good to have a health book to be giving away. And a super interesting interview by Dr. Paul Wood this morning talking about alcohol and alcohol consumption and moderate alcohol consumption, pointing out that new research coming out of Canada, there's no such thing as moderate alcohol consumption. Hmm. Drink within the guidelines, it will still kill you. Okay, from cancer. Uh, We need to get into our study. Let's go to Acts chapter 26. And why don't we just start at the beginning, Angela? We'll just start reading some verses. All right. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I'm accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God, night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. We've got a bunch of verses here that we can spend a little bit of time considering as this story kind of sets itself up. So Paul is standing before uh, King Agrippa at this particular point. And Agrippa is somebody who does definitely know a lot about the Jews. He is an expert on Judaism. 
as an expert on Judaism, he understands exactly what Paul is saying when Paul says that he is a Pharisee. What was the key? Any idea, Angela? What was the key difference that differentiated the Pharisee from the Sadducee? Putting her on the spot here now. Yeah, he loves to do this to me. Yeah, <laughs> Pharisees and Sadducees. One massive difference between the two of them. And that was the question of the, the, resurre- <laughs> the resurrection. Oh, yes. The resurrection. So Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection and Pharisees do. And so Paul is raised and trained and taught and educated as a Pharisee. So he's somebody who believes in the resurrection of the dead. And these were kind of the majority. Uh, the majority of Jews at that particular time would have been classed as being Pharisees, people who believed in the resurrection of the dead. And so he's talking to Agrippa who understands Jews, who understands Judaism. And he says, you know, particularly for here in verse 8, why would it be thought a thing incredible to you that God should raise the dead? You know, why would you find that surprising? He says, he says basically, I'm being held here a prisoner because he is a prisoner at this particular time because I'm accused of preaching the resurrection of the dead. In other words, I'm accused of being a Pharisee and believing what the Pharisees actually believe. Their key doctrine is the resurrection of the dead. I stand by that doctrine and uh, I have been imprisoned for that doctrine. Um, and, you know, and, he, and he's pointing out, you know, I guess the, the contradiction that there is when you have a group of people who are almost ready to give their life for, you know, believing that the dead are resurrected and they'll take down every Sadducee that they can find and then they have somebody who turns up and says, yes, the dead can be resurrected. Why is he not being acclaimed as a hero? Why is he not being made central to their beliefs and practices and customs? Why is he being imprisoned? Well, it's because... He connects it to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth did lots of things that were very threatening to the Pharisees. Well, he was very much bold in standing against the customs. He was trying to break every bias that they had against other people of other nations, of the way they treated the sick, the lame among them. He was always trying to break the biases and show them that he loved all. Okay, so then they hate Jesus because of all the good things he did? Unfortunately. And stood for and said? Unfortunately, but it wasn't so much that it was good. It was the fact that it pointed out where they were missing the mark. And no one likes that. And so Jesus is a constant reminder to them of where they're not choosing to follow the law. But yet they have followed the law to this letter, but the basic principle and the foundation of the law they've completely missed. Yeah, because the foundation of the law is love. Exactly. And they completely miss love. I mean, they treat other nations and other people like dirt. Um, they, they, they make themselves an exclusive race. They you know, claim to be the only ones that have any kind of salvation and, that, you know, and to the point where they won't eat with a Gentile. They won't go under the same roof with a Gentile. They won't, associate, they won't touch a Gentile. Well, it's very human nature to be exclusive. It's like in that exclusivity, we become something. And unless we have that exclusivity, then we feel like we're just just moving along. And it's when we can be like, oh, I'm distinct, I'm special, that unfortunately that's where we get a lot of our self-confidence from. And that's where... And our self-identity. Yes. Yeah, which is really important to, you know, good mental health. So, so, so shouldn't we have, I mean, if we, if we, shouldn't we have a good sense of our identity and our specialness? Definitely. But our identity is in Christ. 
He's the one who gives an incredible identity more than any famous book that I write or any great song that I sing or any great accomplishment that I physically attain is my identity in Christ. Absolutely. Amen. Praise God. Okay, so this is what Paul is being judged for is because he is preaching the resurrection and he's like, you know, why why would it why would this be incredible to you that I'm preaching the resurrection? You know, uh, you, you understand what Pharisees believe and teach. Why would you be surprised that I preach the resurrection? But then he goes on to tell his story, and his story is quite interesting. Um, and he begins by telling his story in verse 10. What is it that Paul is actually doing? Oh, he was definitely proudly going against those who stood for Jesus. Yeah, he's become a prosecutor. Yeah. He is practicing the role of chief prosecutor for the Jewish nation. He begins at Jerusalem and he tells the story about how while he was at Jerusalem, he rounded up, you know, pretty much as many and all Christians as he possibly could to throw them in jail, to pass them off for execution, tremendous persecution right there. And uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's read about that in verse 11. Do we read verse 11 yet? No. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Okay, so if you are in Israel today, if you go to Jerusalem, and you're going to go to Damascus, that's a long way. It is, quite a journey. You have to pass through two countries to get there. You know, that's a significant journey, and that is how far... Paul is prepared to go to, you know, to wipe out Christianity. He's going to leave no stone unturned. And Christianity, of course, is being spread by his persecution. So now he has to spread himself. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, so let's read about this in verse 12 and 13. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. Okay, so this is the famous Damascus Road experience. And when you read about the Damascus Road experience, I think that a lot of us sort of think, yeah, oh, wow, when, I wish God would do something like that for me. Mm. And often when I, re- I meet people who are atheists and they're like, well, you know, God, if he wanted me to be saved, could very easily save me because he could just, you know, do something like he did to Paul. So why does God do this to Paul? You know, and not to your average atheist out there on the street. Because he knew Paul's heart, and Paul's heart was earnestly, um, I believe, wanting to do the right thing. He was so passionate because he thought it was the right thing, um, and so God can see the heart. And like, remember how we brought up the example yesterday of the Pharisees who saw Lazarus being raised from the dead. That wasn't good enough for them. So it's very possible that even if God did shine a light like this on an atheist, like Richard Dawkins, let's take for example, you know, somebody that is such a voice, like Paul became such a voice. um, He probably, unfortunately, I can't judge, but may not even acknowledge that, even if it was an incredible light and a voice from heaven. I think this is a really good point because if we compare uh, Richard Dawkins with the Apostle Paul, there are a tremendous amount of similarities. They are both very, very strident in their criticism of Christianity. Um, One obviously is a religious person, the other a non-religious person. 
And really it comes down to what's in their heart because if I look at some of my friends who are atheists, if they were to have a Damascus Road experience, they would be incredibly disappointed. Hmm. They'd be gutted. It would be devastating for them because now any possibility of doubt to the existence of God would be removed and now they would know that they had a moral obligation to serve God because God was actually real and God had appealed, appeared to them in a very real way and they wouldn't have any choice in the matter. You know, their, their, their power of choice had, would, would be removed and their opportunity to live a life of immorality would be gone. And that would be devastating for them. Unfortunately, yeah, we are very sucked in by the world. It's Where just so sad. It's but it happens to all of us. All of us think that this world is truly incredible and its things to offer are greater than the things of heaven. And we have a hard time identifying that there could be something better than what we're experiencing right now. And and the reality is that the opposite is actually you know um the case in that you know while the world looks so good, the world is is just it has it has nothing to offer, and if we come back to our example of you know how somebody who is a devout atheist would be devastated by this, what you find is that Paul was not. No. While you and I probably have a number of friends that we could say yes, if God wrote in letters of fire across the skies, I am God, you must serve me, and they could not find any reasonable, logical, rational way around it, and they were forced to accept God, they would do so begrudgingly, whereas for Paul, this was a life-changing experience. Oh, he was completely humbled and distraught. Yes. He was completely destroyed internally that he could have done something against God. It absolutely devastated him. So, so, so both of these scenarios, you can see people being devastated, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. So we have friends, and of course, we can't judge the heart. We don't know, but everybody has friends who are, you know, most uh, everybody has friends who are atheists, and uh, because we can't judge the heart, we don't know. But let's say that we, you know, are correct in our assumption that these people uh, would be devastated by finding by being by God being proven to be real. They would be devastated because they would no longer have the opportunity to live an immoral life. Paul was devastated because he had been fighting against God. Mm-hmm. Very, very different experience that we've got happening right here. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse, uh, let's read verse 14, I think we're... Verse 15, 13. Uh, I think I'm on 14. Okay. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And oh, he said, I need to stop. I need to stop. Sorry. Mm. What's a goad? Um, something hard. <laughs> okay, a goad. Let me explain a goad. This is, this is old English right here. We have a modern version of a goad. You can buy a goad today. It's called a cattle prod. Oh, okay. And so back in the day, it was called an ox goad. And basically, the way a cattle prod works today has two, um, two pins that come out the end and electrical current goes between the two, kind of like a little bit like a taser. So you uh, want to control your cattle, you give them a bit of a, a, bit of a, a jolt in the rump and off they go. Ouch. It uh, works wonders. I don't like it. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> but the goad was kind of like a spear. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to move your cattle, what you do is you jab him in the butt. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the cattle prod that we have today is a lot more humane than the old version of using a pitchfork or a spear or something like that to actually... Uh, but this is what you can imagine kicking against, you know, you're going to go and kick against a taser. So this is the, in today's language, kicking against a taser. Like, yeah, there's a taser over there. I'm going to go and start kicking it. It sounds like um, it might not work out so well. It's going to be lots of pain. <laughs> and it's kind of like for Paul, he kicks the taser and gets flattened and he just keeps going back and kicking it and kicking it and kicking it and it flattens him every time and then eventually... Jesus is like, why do you keep kicking the taser? Hmm. You know, that's the modern language of what we're talking about right here. Hmm. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Wow. That must have been gut-wrenching. Wow. I think now he got leveled by the taser. <laughs> yeah, now he's really been, he hasn't just been given a jolt. He's been absolutely flattened. All right, let's read the, uh, um, the through verse 18. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Okay, so what is the commission that Jesus gives to Paul at this particular point? To go to the Gentiles, to go to anyone who's not a Jew. To go to the Gentiles, and when he goes to the Gentiles, what is he to share when he gets there? Um, The fact that they may receive forgiveness from their sins and they have an inheritance waiting for them. And what's interesting is that with the Apostle Paul, um, we have him doing this on a number of occasions in the Bible through his testimony. Hmm. I think Paul shares his personal testimony more than anybody else in the Bible. This is a recurring theme. And when Paul is given the opportunity to present the word of God, it's kind of like it's almost like his default. So he's hauled in there before Agrippa and Agrippa is uh, placing him on trial. And he's like, okay, you know, I'm a Pharisee. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And because I believe in the resurrection of the dead, you know, it's no struggle for me to believe in Jesus Christ who's been raised from the dead. And by the way, I met Jesus Christ after he was raised from the dead. And this is how it happened. Yeah. You know, Paul can definitely spin his theology, but it's interesting how much he loves to share his experience, his testimony. Yes. Yes. And so you find that, you know, when Paul goes to Athens, for instance, and he is amongst the great intellectuals, he's intellectual. But here, he just shares his testimony. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, where are we up to? We are in our Bible study. Let's go to Acts chapter 26. We have had here Paul share his personal uh, testimony. Uh, Let's just sort of finish out a few more of these verses, starting in verse 19, please, Angela. All right. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. 
that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Okay, so that kind of summarizes or finishes up the uh, the story that we have here of Paul sharing his personal testimony before King Agrippa. Now, you pointed out something very interesting during the song break that I think is worth sharing with our listeners. What? And that is that a lot of what Jesus does, he ties to things in nature so they are a continual reminder to us. How does that actually work? Give us some examples of this. Yeah, so I love nature and I have found that I feel, <clears throat> excuse me, that I have had many Saul experiences and the fact that God speaks to me through nature. So for example, in this story, um, God uses the bright light, right, to remind him. And then he, and his commission in verse 18, asks him to show the Gentiles from darkness to light. So therefore, every time Paul feels the ray of the sunshine, he, the bright light. he couldn't help but think about the commission he was given and the promise he was given and the chance to do it right this time. Think about the woman at the well. Jesus chose something that literally this woman is going to be dependent on for the rest of her life. She'll never not need water, which means every time, whether it's that well or another well, there's no way that she can't relive, smell, taste, hear the experience of when Jesus talked to her. Or think about Nicodemus and the, and the wind, right? Every time he feels a breeze, he can't help but think about Jesus' analogy of the new birth and the Holy Spirit in his life. And I think that's incredible. So for me, every time I see a tree, every time I see a bird or a cloud, I try to relate it to some promise so I can be constantly thinking about God. Okay, spoken like a like a true school teacher right there. Go, Angela. I think that's I think that's fantastic observation um, of something that is taking place here. Okay, so we need to move on in our Bible study. Let's go over to First uh, John chapter one, verse one to four. And I understand that when you're running mission trips, this is a passage that is kind of special to you in mission trips. Angela, how does that actually work? Yeah. So um, I lead um, the young adult trip for the organization Maranatha which builds um, churches and schools around the world. And I lead the worships morning and evening. And I always open with this one because too often we struggle and we wonder what, what do we share about Jesus? I don't know my Bible. I can't do Daniel. I can't do Revelation. How do I share? I can't share my faith. I, you know, I don't know how to share Jesus. And I don't have, some of us don't have the big Paul conversions. I didn't do something big and bad in my life and then God do this big 180 turn. And so I always start with this because I want them to realize that God has done work in their life before we continue on in the mission trip. So 1 John 1, 1 to 4 says, that which was from the beginning, which which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Now there's so much in here to unpack, but Basically, what I long for people to understand is that Jesus wants you to share what you have seen with your own eyes, what you've looked upon, and what your hands have handled. I mean, as a teacher, that's such a textile experience, right? <laughs> it's a kinesthetic, full-body experience, what you yourself have touched. I mean, how often have you come out of a sermon or a church being like, oh, I've touched the Word of God, right? But God wants you to have this full-body experience where you smell, you taste, you're touching, you're seeing, and this is what you're sharing. There's no way that Paul couldn't have remembered how it felt when he was on the ground, when he was being told, you know, by God. He felt the dirt in the sand. Um, he felt the warmth of the light or the brightness of the light, you know? Um, and so I think that it's so important that we realize that God just wants us to share what we have experienced. And we've all experienced something. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Um, really appreciate what you shared right there. Now, one of the things that I wanted to to, um, to just hone in for a moment on on for a moment, you talked about you know the big experience that Paul had, and we often compare our experience to Paul's experience, and we're like, well, you know, I look at my testimony, my testimony, you know, because the Bible says in you know First John first four verses right there to share what we have experienced, what we have uh, touched and felt, and um, and what God has done in our lives, but you know, I just don't have that big experience that Paul had, where he was, you know, one of the worst of the worst, and then became one of the best of the best, and he met Jesus and had a Damascus Road experience, and yet, I think that it is very much a part of human nature that we all look at our own testimony that way, hmm. because, and here's a thought that will blow your mind: <laughs> Paul looked at his testimony that way. That it wasn't even that. even though Paul often shared his testimony, you look at the last um, few chapters of Second Corinthians. It's Paul, all about Paul defending his apostleship, hmm. because he felt that nobody looks at me as a real apostle because I don't have this great testimony that Peter and James and John and the others have. Hmm. I didn't spend three and a half years with Jesus. I spent thirty seconds with Jesus, maybe less. You know, that's so interesting. That is so interesting because we are so quick to compare. And people give these huge testimonies at church about how they were drinking or in drugs and um, all these terrible situations. And we're like, oh, I, I, I don't have a testimony. And here is Paul, someone that the world puts on a pedestal, and he himself doesn't even realize that he has an incredible testimony and he thinks he's less superior than the disciples when there are so many of us who always think we're less superior. And that's why I encourage on my mission trips for everyone the first Saturday night to share their testimonies because each one of us have a testimony. A testimony just means God is working in your life, period. I can share this from my own experience. For years, I did not believe I had a testimony. And the reason I didn't believe I had a testimony was that every time I heard a testimony, it was somebody who would get up in church and share a story of how far from God they were, Mm. of how steeped in sin they were, and of the dramatic change that had taken place in their life as a result of them giving their life to Jesus Christ. And then I was doing a course one time, and a part of that course was a requirement to write out your testimony. I think it was like 1,500 words or something or other. And so I wrote my testimony down for the first time. And when I wrote it down, I suddenly realized, you know what? I've got a testimony. Amen. (laughs) And I'd been in ministry for like 10 years Mm -hmm. by this point. And 10 years of ministry and I never knew I had a testimony. And then when I wrote it down, I was like, I have a testimony. God has done amazing (laughs) things in my life. I can't believe this. This is an amazing story to share. And I don't have a story of having been out there in the big bad world doing big bad things. But what I found is that the most powerful testimony is the person whose life has been guided by God Mm -hmm. and hasn't had to have those bad experiences to be able to discover that God is good. And so we find here... Um, and oh, so much we could talk about, and I always run out of time. These people are sharing their testimony, but not just their testimony. It is a living testimony that they are experiencing every day of their lives. It continues as they grow in God's incredible grace. 